who's going to do it, and how is it going to be done? Those are some big questions about that. Right. <laughs> you guys are the commentators, so you can say, well, how is that going to happen, man? How's that going to happen, man? <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome to U.S. Rugby Happy Hour Live. We have another big show for you tonight. U.S. Rugby Hall of Famer and NBC Sports analyst Dan Lyle joins us to talk Rugby World Cup, USA Rugby, and much more. So stay tuned for that. If you are not already following us, please do so at Eagles Overseas and Rugby Morning to get updates on future shows and news about USA Rugby, Major League Rugby, and much more. And also... If you are listening to the podcast replay of the show, please subscribe and leave a review, preferably a five-star review. <laughs> Very important. We will read any five-star review on the next show, no matter what it says. But be kind. Uh, we're fragile. Uh, <laughs> I am Bill Baker of Eagles Overseas and my co-host, Rugby Mornings, John Fitzpatrick. Hey, Fitzy. Hey, Bill. How's it going? If it's not fragile, I believe it's pronounced fragile. Fragile. It's a major award. <laughs> what's new not much where are you where are you broadcasting from right now bill fill us in i am broadcasting from a, a very um uh upscale i mean low scale pop-up trailer a camper in the white mountains of new hampshire i am camping by myself oh. this week it is a a work trip for me i do this once a year where i'm i, I work i have my systems with me and i'm in a campground and i'm at the base of an old ski jump at a place called Gunstock Mountain in the White Mountains. It's really cool here. It's really cool. Well, Bill, I, I'm sure you're in New Hampshire, but I find it really odd that you're not in Colorado because apparently folks in Colorado apparently saw Sasquatch walking around or Bigfoot. Oh, I saw you're that. You're not home. <laughs> like, come on. There's, there's too much of a coincidence. <laughs> Shh. Don't, don't, <laughs> don't GPS track me. <laughs> uh, but you know what I did earlier, Fitzy, is I found, uh, I went to get, a beer we're going to talk about in a minute. Um, and I was there going, wait, wait, uh, Powerball? How much is it? 1.7 billion? Well, okay, fine, I'll play. <laughs> yeah, you So should, I got my yeah. tickets. I got my tickets. Did you play? No, but as your co-host of this, I get 10% of any winnings. Uh, you get um, a free gift basket with um, uh, a cantaloupe and a four-pack of beer. <laughs> <laughs> four-pack? Shrink, shrinkflation going on, my goodness. Shrinkflation, exactly. <laughs> so listen, uh, Fitz, we got a lot to talk about tonight. Because um, I, I, this is one of our hosts, uh, our, host, our guest tonight is someone we can easily talk to for two hours, but we're not going to give them that much time. So let's do this. Uh, we started a new segment last week called What You Drinking? Okay, that's a work in progress, that title. We will work on that. Um, uh, uh, both John Fitzpatrick and I introduce a beer, and uh, we want to, uh, you know, it's a whole happy hour aspect of this show. So we want to uh, um, showcase a beer each. So last year, last week I went first. This week I'm going to let you go first, Fitzy. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. I'm drinking um, a the DC Brow is the name. It's the... Um, yeah, is the name is the beer, Brow Pilsner. So it's a it's a proudly crafted in the District of Columbia. It's where I'm broadcasting from. It's where I live. It's an easy drinking beer. It's four point five percent alcohol. You can have a couple of these and still feel like you can function the rest of the day. So, um, based on your rating scale here, your untapped rating. I think I have the app. I used to use it. Yeah. I'm going to put it at a, at a solid, solid three point five. That's good. So it's good. You know, it's like I would go back and get another six-pack of this. Wow. Okay, hold on. 
<laughs> yeah, you know what? I, so, so I love that too. I love last week you had a beer that was like 1% lower than mine. This time mine is double yours, okay? Uh, uh, it's called Interstate Perspective. It's a, it's, it's a collaborative beer from Kettlehead Brewing Company out of Tilton, New Hampshire. It's about 20 minutes from where I am now. I'm going there tomorrow night to see them. And Little Willow Brewing Company out of Florence, Mass. It is a double IPA, 8% ABV. Um, it is so good, man. I'm telling you, it, it's like made with citra and like a, a new experimental hop, HBC 1019. No idea what that means. Maybe some <laughs> psychotic drug. In, I don't know. <laughs> uh, but I love the descriptions of these beers, like uh, sweet citrus, uh, candied banana, peaches, and cream. I, I, I when I read it, I, f- I first thought like that's a smoothie, but it writes tropical smoothie in a can. So, <laughs> oh, okay, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So my untap rating is a four point two five. Wow, yeah, it's yeah. high. It is high, and, and it's one of my highest rated beers I've ever had. And um, ask my wife; I probably rated too many beers, uh, <laughs> but I will buy that again. Um, yes, amazing drinks. Uh, I think both yours and mine. We need to um, uh, make sure if I get down to see with you, to DC with you again one day or someday soon, I will definitely try yours and uh, and this. So great! I, I, I don't know what to do right now. I mean, these these two beers are so good. I think we should just cheers, 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 and let's kick things off. Let's go. Ah, sorry. All right, let's go to our <laughs> guest. <laughs> Back on the show. His third time, actually, which usually means some kind of gift. So when Rolex sponsors us, we'll be sure to get him a new watch. <laughs> yeah. So let's all please welcome, a warm welcome to Dan Lyle. Hey, Dan. Hey, guys. Uh, enjoyed your beer commentary there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you're you're a fan of certain beers, but uh, we're trying to get out the word. There's some amazing breweries around this country, and I feel like, Dan, as you can, as you can appreciate, the whole happy hour part of our show get, has been left out. So now we're like, less of a beer while we're doing this. Not a lot, just one. <laughs> Good for you. Yeah. <clears throat> so, so Dan, who, said, uh, who said rugby and beer went together? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, what an odd pairing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Dan, let's, let's jump into the, the World Cup going on right now. Obviously, I want to talk cool play to start. Fiji, for me at least, has been the team of the tournament, in, in my opinion. Uh, so many great stories coming in with this team. You know, one of them, obviously, sad news. One of the players, uh, um, you know, son passed away or whatever. And then and he stick around to stay in the quarterfinals. Head coach brings a, a gift bag to the Portugal's clubhouse recently. You know, for me, that's amazing. So for you, you know, which nation uh, has been your team in the tournament so far? Yeah, uh, uh, obviously, uh, Tuisova, right? His his the uh, center for Fiji. His son passed away, who had been sick for a very long time, um, and that's a you know. And they rallying around him, just like they rally around each other. And, and look, the culture of the Fijian team is second to none, right? Um, it was it was always about um, whether Fiji can. Uh, do the hard parts of the game as well as they do, um, you know, the the attacking and counterattacking parts of the game, and you know, the institution of Drua, Drua, the Super Rugby team has allowed them to, you know, baptize you know so many more players in the 
you know, the depth of what it takes to be a, you know, a more detailed player, which 15s really makes you do. Um, to say that uh, Uruguay and Chile and Portugal um, and to a certain degree in that Georgia-Fiji game all have not had really cool moments and uh, and whether it's Martins or Storti or Guedes or, you know, uh, Nishvili or others, uh, just showing some really cool attacking rugby um, that, you know, a lot of teams, um, when it comes to the World Cup, do not show, right? So, um, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know if I have a favorite. Maybe that's a cop-out, but certainly um, are excited. And who would have thought the draw, which was done in 03, right? sorry, three <laughs> years ago, right? Um, we're to produce four quarterfinals with North Northern Hemisphere versus Southern Hemisphere, right? That's that's the most unique thing that uh, I'm excited about going into the quarterfinals, right? And what about disappointments? You know, disappointing performances. Australia comes to mind for me. You know, having monitored the England Eddie Jones saga for, you know, a few years, you know, expecting him to go in and change things was never my expectation. Um, Mm -hmm. So one of the surprises is actually um, uh, Wales, right? Um, Lost to Georgia, right? Um, And just the way that they've gelled together as a young team and an old Star Wars team under Gatlin, that's a really interesting story but um I, I i look less at the here and the now i look more at the money ball side of things and how teams are constructed and you know do they have the capability of winning games in pools or in quarter finals or beyond so disappointing probably australia yes uh first time ever not in the knockout rounds so mm-hmm. historically you know, uh, there, but, um, look, it's a knockout competition, uh, for a reason. And, um, so you're going to have winners and losers no matter what. Yeah. I want to talk a little bit about, um, some of the, I guess you, you mentioned some of the structure of some of the unions and surely there were some changes to world rugby's regulation nine law. Um, some nations were able to, players were able to change eligibility. I think Fiji, maybe Samoa seemed to benefit from it. I mean, I guess across the board, do you feel like those changes in, in, in the reg nine has, has helped rugby or has it benefited more, some nations more than others? Well, obviously uh, Samoa and Tonga um, yeah. by and large, right. Um, you know, they're half a dozen players each or more, right. With all black and, Australian, um, you know, um, pedigree, right? Um, so, yeah, I mean, um, you know, who would want Celeste Charles Piatow as their fullback, right? Um, you know, geez, the, the offloading capability to, um, I think it's Kata, maybe the wing, I don't know, uh, mm. 14 for Samoa, right? Uh you know, just, you know, um, you know, just remarkable, right? Um, and, you know, you can play that through, um, you know, uh, the players that play um, for both. And uh, so, yeah, they benefited. Uh, they probably had their, some of their best rugby moments, um, 
you know, in this World Cup uh, in competitive side. Um, but it, it's not a long-term answer, right? The long-term mm-hmm. answer is, you know, and for all tier two countries is your domestic product, right? Yeah. And, and how you develop that. And then do you have access to a competitive landscape outside your shores, right? That's the mm-hmm. real nux and crux of all this stuff. Well, Dan, we're going to get into some of those questions in a moment. I want to talk a little bit more about some of those, you know, the tier two sides. You know, you mentioned a few of them already, Portugal, Uruguay, others. They really held their own, you know, at least for a part of the matches. Portugal getting their first rugby crop. Rugby World Cup win was was awesome. A number of individual standout players. I really liked Manuel Ardao, the the undersized flanker there. But you know, it seemed like in the past, Tier Two nations were almost you know, hey, happy to be here. You've got your four matches in pool play, and then off you go as we move on to the knockout rounds. But it seems like now that Tier Two nations aren't just happy to be there; they're actually performing and performing well, and and putting up some some good results there. Are more nations starting to respect the fact that these "quote unquote" tier two nations are starting to lessen the gulf between tier one and tier two? Maybe. Well, I don't know if points differential um, will equate to that. You know, in a seismic shift, right? Um, I suppose the perception is there, right? Um, based upon a handful of results, results, and a, a handful of quality. Um, attacking theatrical type rugby, right? That we all want to see. So certainly um, it has to be the goal of rugby to create more competitive teams year in and year out so that they can commercialize themselves in their own countries, right? And also help to, you know, really uplift the commercial and media value of the World Cup, right? So, you know, drubbings and, you know, unremarkable games and no stars, which uh, is not the way we want to go, right? And this World Cup is given some glimpses of Mm -hmm. the way that it could go, right? Um, So all the powers to be have to seize those moments and look at it it, uh, to answer that question uh, fully. And just one more sentence or two, it's eye of the beholder as to what growth will mean. Right. And I think that we have to get into some sort of a common language of what growth means for both individuals nations and for the general rugby community meets the world cup maybe a follow-up to that question at least you know, you go on rugby social there seems to be maybe are we reaching a tipping point perhaps in, in public clamoring where world rugby is maybe forced to recognize that there needs to be more tier one versus tier two matches on the calendar look uh, fiji's been to the quarterfinals a couple times right this is nothing new right they also mm-hmm. lost to Uruguay, like Portugal, in the last World Cup, right? Um, you know, remarkable that you lose a, the last pool round and still go through, right? That's yeah. probably a unprecedented, right? So, but Samoa has made the quarterfinals, right? Canada 
has made the quarterfinals, right? Um, so there is, and you know, so there there have been historical. To your question, though, is there enough media and fan and outside pressure? To make change, I think if you ask me some more questions, I'll tell you the the changes that I think will happen to the degree that they happen for everyone on an equal basis is probably not going to happen. But you have to define equal mm-hmm. and a starting point to start off with. I, I really want to ask you what those changes would be, but I'm, I'm not going to ask that. Uh, Dan, you, you posted earlier today on, on social media about a sports business journal article about viewership numbers here in, in North America or America. Um, you know, USA or rugby made top 40, just shy of 500,000. You know, what do you make of that number? Is that encouraging for the U.S. audience? Um, it's, it's really, um, it's great yeah. that we have a number, right? It's great that it's on a network. It's great that it's being rated. Mm-hmm. But the reality is it's, it's a nothing burger without consistency. Mm-hmm. Right? So, mm-hmm. you know, you need, you know, sport is a season, right? You need week in and week out growth. You need year on, year out growth, right? You need those things to be tangible and you know um and um driven to to the criteria that sponsors and and broadcasters and you know athletic directors and others take notice right so you know it's a one-off uh and it's taken a long time uh and we've had these one-offs in the past right that's the that's the proverbial um, we're we're still a startup, right? In American rugby, right? We've had a we have a product that we think is pretty good. It's shown some signs. It's got some little bit of you know um, attention, but we haven't got it out of the garage yet. That's that's the proverbial startup that we are. But but Dan, let me ask you about that. We're what eight years away from hosting the World Cup here. Isn't this the time where I know uh, NBC Sports may not be doing premiership soon, um, but some network or USA Rugby or World Rugby should be getting the game in front of more non-rugby eyes? We got eight years. We got to build a U.S. audience to help support the World Cup in 2031. Are we doing the right thing? Is that as far as that goes? As far as the broadcast side goes? Well, we don't have a calendar that we can sell, right? So, you know, in order to build on this week in and week out, year on year, you have to have a calendar, right? You have to have a consistent, you know, three-year annualized rolling calendar. So you can, these broadcasters, streaming engines, they're looking, you know, years in advance, right? And then they're backfilling it with content and, you know, building stars and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And you as a governing body are using that leverage and that growth to, you know, widen your base base of players. And look, the, you know, one win for Portugal in a small nation against Fiji 
you know, result will result in national press will result in, you know, thousands of tens of thousands as shown by the airport kids and others being excited about the sport, right? Do they capitalize on that? Do they have a consistent calendar? Do they have a enough monies to, you know, you know, if a school calls them up, can they send a coach? Do they have the ability? You know, all that stuff is part of, part and parcel to creating a consistent product that means that you're able to, you know, you know, be exposed uh, in your own country to hey, you know, twenty thousand people came to see our game and paid thirty bucks each. The we had five core sponsors and a, a media paid for that, right? That's the that's the starting point for a high performance program, right? But at the same time, you have sponsors that also want to attack not just your national team, but your grassroots grassroots structure to be able to, you know, uh, really supercharge that to where you can, you know, double, triple, and quadruple, and then you got to meet in the middle. Do you have a professional collegiate school structure that works that is really training and enabling the this wide fund widening funnel to get to the national team and you know et cetera et cetera right so um that's what i mean each individual country is going to need that plan so bill your your question about the united states yes it, but it's not just about the calendar, right? That's, you know, it, it, it is an overall American rugby plan that can, you know, widen and grow and set the, you know, if we're going to get pre-financed, which is all the projection, right? The pre-financing starting in after the World Cup in the beginning of the year, that's going to put tens of millions of dollars into the U.S. rugby coffers, right? And you're going to attack grassroots, you're going to attack collegiate, you're going to attack pathways, and you're going to attack national teams. Boys and girls, men and women, right? You're going to attack that. Who's going to do it, and how is it going to be done? Those are some big questions to that, Dan. You guys are the commentators, so you can say, oh, how is that going to happen, man? <laughs> How's that going to happen, happen man? <laughs> well, uh, okay, I'll give you an example. I'll give you an example. If we have 500, 500 to 600, we'll call it, we'll stay on the low end, 500 men's collegiate programs, right? Um, we, we have somewhere around 400 women's, maybe more, maybe, you know, somewhere in there, right? So just sticking with the men's because we're talking about the men's World Cup right now, right? Right. So every year, if you assume that there's 10 seniors every year, maybe more, maybe less, we have 5,022-year-olds finishing college who have just played rugby. Over a four-year period, we have 20,000, 22-year-olds. That's more players than 
all of those countries have in total, meaning Portugal, Chile, Uruguay, Georgia, right? Totally. So what what's what's holding us back, right? It, is it that you know? So the money ball side of this is that we have a lack of competitive games for our best players, but our best players are not necessarily at Life or Cal or Navy or you know the top fifteen programs. You know, in my day, it was Marshall. Occidental, VMI, others, right? So it's all 550 of those colleges. And those players, you know, once they finish their college year are, you know, because you have to play competitive matches and you have to play, play competitive matches with each other more often. So if we went, just as an example, went back to a, four territories, not, I'm not saying geographically or governance-wise, but four all-star teams that played in the summer, right. six, seven, eight games against each other, and then played three or four tour ITTs. Right, yeah. oh, the old ITTs. You'd have your best players playing it, and you would know what you look like metrically, and you would know what you look like um, rugby-wise, Right. And you would understand you know, how and what we look like. You do the same thing at the U18 high school level, right? Boys and girls. Same thing at college. You, you have this interim college thing called U20. So your best players are playing in that for at least a couple of years. You institute a U23 program along the same lines of ITT or just the college graduates plus a year or two of the MLR academies, and all of a sudden you get a bunch of players from all across the United States playing with each other on a consistent basis over a four, six, eight-year period, right? And then maybe you have some crossovers. Maybe you have some people that are, you know, Carlisle's watching on YouTube and parachute in and they can make a team, right? You know, but... You know, there, there, there's a system in place, right, that produces the best of your, the uh, best of your system in a time when they can play together, uh, in the most, you know, comprehensive way with your best coaches, your best referees, etc. Right. So, you know that. That begins, I'm not saying that's the answer, but that's the beginning of building teams, right? Right. And so, but, but Dan, yeah. But Dan, hold on, I'm sorry, but, but going back to the point, so early on as far as the viewership numbers uh, and building the team as well. I mean, like you said, we need to have a calendar for the team to succeed, to play better, um, and then also have a, a continuity that a network would invest in to get it in front of maybe non-rugby-minded you know, fans, let's say, get it more and more in front of people. So when you're mentioning those, say, collegiate programs, uh, through my experience, except for a few programs, no one knows who the Eagles are. No one really knows about the international program. So is that like the, I don't know, I don't think double-edged sword is the word there, but uh, the fact that, that the USA team is not on, you know, 12 games a year on, 
NBC Sports or ESPN, whatever else. Is is that a problem? No, yeah. Oh, yeah. oh yeah. So so oh, no. So you you would expect and you should see on the back of the World Cup, you will see, at least for the United States, you will see a calendar emerge for the next several years that will give us three games in July, a uh, a kind of a crossover tournament for domestic in um, in September, an APAC, you know, Fiji, Tonga, Samoa, U.S., Canada, Japan, um, in the August September period, and then three or four November internationals. I mean, the women have the Pac four and W fifteen starting this week, right? So the women are actually ahead of the curve, but they face the same underlying principles as well as the calendar. So, you know, the good news is that they're getting games, right? And there's one or two more that they need, right? A- annual, you know, home and away Can-Ams, right? For everybody should be there. So, uh, and that domestic competition is probably some sort of a, a uh, South American competition. So you go from three plus three, four, plus three or four, right? You go to 10, 11 with three to five home games per year next year. First time, first time outside of some bent over years of Pacific Rim and Pan Ams and you know, back when I was playing and a few things here or there, um, you know, first time that you have that many games. And so, therefore, you have MLR players, you have professional players combining together. You're going to need to supplement their income for 30 players in the fall, right, um, to, cons- to be consistent. So, you know, all those things are coming. So you start to start to peel away that, okay, well, you know, strictly talking about men now, you have the calendar from July to end of MLR season to November, right? For 30 to 50 guys, right? And those guys are playing, you know, 10 matches, give or take. And, you know, you're hopefully you, you're funding that and you're funding the underbelly of that. Um, and, the question marks start arising is, you know, are, do we have enough players playing enough minutes in the MLR, right? For the guys that go through the U18 ITTs and the and the and the collegiate ITTs and the U20 and U23 to catch the players that don't go to college stuff, right? Is that is that part and parcel of what the MLR is trying to do or not trying to do? So you get into some political conversations domestically right Mm -hmm. Uh, pretty quickly but that's our making not anybody else's making and when i hear people want to talk you know play tier one you know how many times we played fiji ever three (laughs) wow and i think I may be wrong. There might be a fourth, but I think the last time we played them 
was 20 years ago. Wow. So, you know, and and they beat Australia for the first time in 69 years, right? So there has to be some sort of, look, I get it. I get the calendar. I get the one to play in tier one. But, the you know, most of those countries are barely hanging on financially, right? We talk about how much money they have, but based on what they're spending. So they don't want to give up games, right? They want to actually double down and play more games against each other, right? Yeah. So everyone else has to force the meritocracy amongst themselves and each other, and they build from there, right? Um, well, yeah. Well, sorry, yeah, I've didn't mean to cut you off there. I guess yeah. I, we're kind of getting into this because there's, um, you know, there's there's rumors circulating and there's there's some reports that are confirmed about you know the you probably see this coming the the World League competition, right? You know, yeah. uh, you know, essentially Six Nations and Sands are holding the commercial rights, you know, primarily seeming like, and again, this is me editorializing, um, benefiting tier one nations. And there is some element of promotion, relegation happening, but it wouldn't be for what, six years, 2030, 2032. Um, I, you know, so yeah, that, I guess that would mean more games on the calendar, which is great, right? More, more competition seemingly though, USA playing more tier two, countries which is fine again more competition but the world league does that does that benefit you know tier two lumping us in there or is that more to the benefit of the old quote-unquote old boys tier one um nations um there was a question in there kinds, somewhere. <laughs> there's all kinds of cliches that come to mind but if, if you want to fight on three fronts you can, you know, uh, you can attack the that, and you'd have some merit to that, right? You can attack what those ten countries are doing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, or you can realize that there's another ten below that, if not more, that need to play each other more often and yeah. build their own pathways right the america's rugby championship whatever happened to that competition it's gonna happen so there's gonna be a challenger series below that if you read this stuff yeah right so yeah and and ultimately you know the six nations are the six nations right and you know good luck penetrating that right um because the celts (laughs) are small populations leveraging England and France and you know if South Africa can't penetrate that good luck Georgia penetrating that right so 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 um, but what we have going over here in North and South America and the Pacific is these little countries called Australia New Zealand probably South Africa and Argentina, right? That's a, There's only four of them, right? So, and, you know, so getting into that tier one structure and then get, keeping, you know, getting your one game against Northern Hemisphere or in November or July, but playing 
year in and year out, and you have to beat these teams, right? So is there a reason? If, if we can't beat Tier 2, strictly talking about United States, right, on a consistent basis, right, then why would we want to do an RFK FedEx field debacle, right? Yeah. So we we are we as Americans are as or the people that run the game in America are as much to blame about our inability inabilities. It doesn't take money to write a plan. Right? A good plan. The right plan. Right? And and to be able to sell that, you know, is so so we're actually lucky that we got a World Cup because World Rugby has bet their signature property, right, on this. And having a competitive team in the United States is going to increase the value of their commodity in the United States. And if we play our cards right, we'll get a pre-legacy structure to fund the entire game and a post-legacy structure to fund even more. But hopefully we've we've penetrated the you know the American sports complex and are returning yearly dividends at that point, right? So the 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 domestic product along the lines of you know you know, standards and numbers, right? You know, numbers are about the funnel, you know, the kerosene model for high school, right? Just spread it like wildfire, right? <laughs> but, you know, that that attached to a ever-increasing commodity, which are your national teams. And we haven't even talked about the, the connection or lack of connection between the sevens and fifteens, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know how many sevens players, um, in back in the fall, could have been on the fifteens team. Yeah. You know, I mean, there's some pretty damn good players playing sevens right now, men and women. Right? Mm-hmm. I, I seem to recall that the the women's New Zealand team had five people playing in the final for for the sevens World Cup, and then won the. 15s World Cup, right? Almost mm-hmm. their entire backline plus a flanker or two, right? It's just like, do we have enough quality players to be divided, right? Um, look, certainly in an Olympic year, but if uh, if we want rugby to advance in the Olympic Games, we have to say to the IOC, we're the best sport at the Olympics, and this is why. Our best rugby player. I thank God Mm-hmm. For Antoine Dupont uh, bringing up that hey I, I'm I've got a contract uh, 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 with Toulouse that's going to be allow me to play in my home country. Hopefully, maybe he wins the wins the uh, World Cup in the next few weeks. But he's going to play in the Olympic Games in Paris. Yeah. You know, it, it's just like wouldn't every you know uh, Hugh O'Keenan and Cheslin Colby and. You're right. Yeah, you know, Artie Sevea. It's just like, guys, what are we doing, right? So, Dan, Dan, let me let me let's bring you back to USA side for a second here. Um, we don't have a lot, a lot of time left with you already, so let's get a few more questions in. Um, 
you know, looking at 31, you know, there seems, or I'm just, I'm hearing some chatter about discouragement amongst the USA players that the USA side still making these same tier two mistakes, just, I don't know, training, whatever else involved, whether it's Gary Gold or Scott, whatever else, it doesn't seem like the USA side is really making that progress that the players and us fans and, and writers want to see. Um, and then also, you know, world rugby obviously is, is invested in USA hosting the, uh, the world cup and also getting USA, you know, uh, on the good side, as far as finances, everything else. So once the, the world cup's over, they're gone. So, I mean, what can we do? Can we wait until then? Uh, or do we need to figure this out now as a nation? Well, I'm, I'm not sure if I fully understand the question, Bill, that, 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 the internal structure, culture of the national men's team um, is inconsistent and the playing quality is inconsistent. Um, I think that that probably without too much, um, you know, um, CSI can be verified, right? <laughs> Right. Um, right. So, you know, you know, we have to be able to be transparent and do a forensic audit of what we look like. And to the naked eye, it's, um, you know, it, it's that we don't have a lot of guys playing high quality matches, right, with each other. And, right. Do we actually have a pool of players that are metrically capable of beating even tier two? So I think the best questions are, hey, this whole, you know, kind of quasi, um, you know, fallacy of the U.S. has the athletes. They don't they just don't have the rugby players. Right is, you know, I don't know. I mean, is, you know, I, I saw the Ireland game last year, right? Like the U.S. played, or, you know, more than a year ago. And, you know, I thought 13 players on the Ireland team could get from point A to point B quicker than our guys, right? So yeah. that means metrically. So we already know that we're way behind rugby, right? So, right. Uh, I'll give you I'll give you a snapshot of that. Uh, like a lot of states right now, fall is high school boys sevens, right? Right. The so they're playing that. What other sports are going on right now in high school? Well, football, football, soccer. and soccer. I know for a fact mm-hmm. the boy, the high school, my boys will enter, you know, for spring for the rugby. The starting quarterback is on the rugby team. Like four or five others mm-hmm. are on the rugby team. Guys on the soccer team. Are on the rugby team, right? So we're we're 
we're maturing athletes through that are multi-sport, right? Those are the kids that, you know, you know, if there if there's a guy that just played rugby, right, and that's all he did in high school, and then went to college and then made the national team, I'll say right now that that's a um, one in a hundred thousand, right? So, right. So, is is are we playing? We're not playing with our best players, um, and, and trying to challenge, trying to play a you know, multi-pronged season. So we have grassroots problems. We have high school problems. Are we attracting the best athletes? Are we are, in college? We have such a mismatch, right? We should have 200 division one clubs and then 40 that are competitive at the 15s and sevens, right? And everyone else is D one, just like the rest of college, right? And we'll have D2, D3, and small college like every other university sport does, right? But, you know, this this quest for um, championships and to, to have, as Alex Goff said, 13 or 14 national champions is, <laughs> is, is crazy, right? Yeah. But somebody has to have the gravitas to stand up in a room and say to NCR and say to CRA, hey, you guys are both getting wrong, right? And NCR, you can't be a libertarian. Yeah, that might right? that guy might be you. <laughs> well, the, the the point is is that I think that World Rugby, to their credit, is 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 working on the financial infrastructure so that that, that they can then walk into the United States and say, yes, we have the money. Now let's really build the infrastructure that we need, right? And and the only doubt that I have at that point is who is in the room and what is being said. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, that's interesting. So, you know, part of the infrastructure, of course, and we've talked briefly about this is, is you know, Major League Rugby, right? There's been a number of major league rugby players that have uh, played well for their, their nations in the in the rugby world cup we mentioned manuel ardow i mean i think we got to bring up sam malolo he's had a phenomenal yeah, world yeah, cup yeah. i think four tries or something like that um yeah. is or will mlr really become that i guess that missing link for our eagles program or you know is that really MLR's mission? They're they're trying to be a for profit business to develop and grow their own league. And yes, part of that is potentially elevating the platform of professional rugby here in the U.S. to help future Eagles. Was that, you know, are they really that that missing link? Can they become that missing link, perhaps? Look, uh, MLS did a study um, a few years back, more than five years. You know, kind of their twenty plus year anniversary of what they did right, what they did wrong, mm-hmm. etc. One of the one of the findings was the the value of your league, meaning the commercial value of your league, is tied to the quality and of your national team. Because people in America, if they see a national team that sucks they think your league sucks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, you know, 
why why do all the other leagues have a higher media value in the United States? You know, outside of the, this latest deal that's taken a long time, so we need to jump over some of these some of these um, um, hurdles that MLS has had. You know, look, we're not comparable to soccer, but we are comparable from a perspective mm-hmm. of if if you're if you believe that you're going to build an equity based, you know, private privately funded um, uh, sports enterprise like every other enterprise in the United States, right? And you're going to get to an equity value, a media value over time to stop paying six million a year in loss, right? Then you have to you have to get to a place where, you know, your product um, not just your on-field product, but your overall product, which is the, the you know the players that are playing in your league, playing for the national team, are yes, shit. That league is awesome, right? It's because mm-hmm. it's producing X, Y, and Z. I'm not sure right now, and certainly people are talking about it right uh, across the board. And I have so much respect for guys that are pumping that amount of money in it week in and week out right so i i'm not a, i'm not an mlr i'm an mlr supporter in a lot of ways right but i'm a quasi neutral in it because i think they could be doing several other things that really supports the overall growth for them that also helps other people and this is not rocket science they know this it's just a matter mm-hmm. of what you know how much time of the day what you can do but it's it it's important because the calendar of national team is going to overlap the uh, the MLR right, and there's you know there's youth growth and this new imagine thing that they're doing or youth growth and there's other academies and drafts and other things that they are intimately involved with right. So and all of those have got you know, cross tentacles. And so, you know, if anybody believes that they're isolated in this and they can be successful without other, it's a, it's a tide that's going to lift for everyone. Right. So people have got to be collaborative across the board. It doesn't mean you have to agree on everything, right? Certainly I don't agree with a lot of people on, on things, but, um, I do have always maintained that we have to have a competent, if not thriving USA rugby. Um, that's the watermark or the benchmark that the, the growth of the game is there, right? With a bankrupt, you know, not competent rugby union, you're, mm-hmm. everyone is doubting you. And, and to think you can, and I've done it. I've been guilty of trying to manage and build things, you know, um, because they didn't have the capacity to. And ultimately, you know, uh, you don't have to be commercially bound. You don't have to be uh, contractually bound, but you need to be looking after each other and not trying to just silent things, right? Right. Dan, a couple more questions for you. Uh, 
just for your personal experience, let's just jump back to your World Cup appearances um, and look at the game now. So since you've hung up your boots, uh, how has the game changed? Are we looking at bigger players, faster game, uh, too many TMOs? <laughs> how has it changed for you in your eyes? Um, look, there, there are player welfare and other protocols that have changed the game and, you know, um, in, in the pitch to make it safer, more entertaining, um, adjudicated better, all those things are all the things we talk about, right? Um, from a sense of um, the quality uh, of the Look, 1999, um, we lost games. We lost, you know, um, three games and competitive, quasi-competitive in the first professional era World Cup. That same nucleus of a team stayed together and performed probably in our best World Cup, right? Uh, as far as right. um, margins and wins and close wins and things like that. Um, you know, to say that we've had the, you know, and that was kind of still in the era of, so, and, and that same cycle, like England, 9-9, judge me on the World Cup, Clive Woodward, kept those players together and even though there was 10, 12 premiership clubs and won a World Cup mm-hmm. because those guys played 10 test matches a year, trained together, stayed consistent. It, there is no um, doubt that the most consistently selected teams that have been to, through the Crucible more often together, right, are the teams right. that perform the best, Right. It doesn't mean, as in the England example, that you have to be singular clubs like Uruguay or Chile or whatever, right? It just means that you have to be, you have to grow up together and be together. That's why I said the the U18s, college, and other things. We had that, and I think subsequent U.S. teams, because of the amount of coaching changes, the amount of you know, super rugby meets pro rugby meets MLR meets college meets lack of all Americans means lack of U20s means lack of test matches have never, never had that. Right. So we are the product of sporadic policies and, and inconsistencies over the last 20 years. And that is the challenge today to, really look at how and what our strengths are and build a system of consistency and sustainability. And I've given some examples and some, you know, other bits and pieces, but these are all accessible to everyone. Yes, I've been in the game at a professional level for a long time now as a player and an administrator. So I've Mm -hmm. had the benefit of really really studying this we can and i'm super grateful for that privilege but 
you know, it's available to be seen. And that's why I think our biggest challenge is the people and the what, the who and the what of what we're going to do over the next eight, 12 years is the challenge, you know, for the American rugby, you know, in the next 18 to 24 months. Because if we don't have that plan and that collaboration and that evergreenness and that really, you know, that everyone gets it, we're all agreeing 85% of this, then we're we're still a disparate continent, not a United States. Dan, let's let's uh, we're going to wrap it up here in a second here. But were you the only uh, pro player on the Eagles side in '99? Uh, no, Tom and uh, Tom Billups and Luke Rose. Um, you know, there was a couple of guys. Ray Laner was kind of pitching around. Um, you know, a few other guys were uh, Haji. Uh, oh, that's right. Others were, um, yeah, just you know, figuring out. But yeah, I I was, um, you know, I was with the same club for a couple of years leading into the World Cup. You know, so. <laughs> and last thing, uh, Dan, as far as broadcasting goes, I know uh, the Rugby Network announced they're acquiring the rights to the Galcom. Premiership, what does that mean for you and, and NBC Sports? Well, NBC um, has got the uh, Six Nations for the next couple of years. Um, right. And then also acquired the uh, November Internationals, right? right. Um, and in 25, also have the Women's Six Nations. Um sevens is up in the air because of the Olympics and what's the post-Olympic mm-hmm. sevens model um, and certainly I think that World Rugby recognizes that they need a consistent partner in the United States and whether that proves to be NBC um, I think is part of that collaboration. I think NBC is uh, wants to continue to do things, but it's not a, a you know an open and shut case with them. There's so many competitive sports right. out there. The landscape for media is now cable network streaming and everything in between. So um, yeah, the 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 rugby network is not a bad system and model, right? It's just a matter of mm-hmm. you know how you build your value and awareness structure and you know they're you know they're going about you know um with mlr a you know time buys or trade or vikas with fox and cbs and other ones etc so gallagher i think it might be a you know i don't want to be uh too negative. It might be a, a bit of a step back, but I don't think NBC yeah. was willing to just sh- show it, um, you know, any longer based upon the 
the economics that were at play. It's not the Premier League as far as moving the rugby needle, right? Um, right. So I think it's got a role to play in the future, both that Heineken Cup, Super Rugby, others, you know, and the kind of aggregate broadcast um, structure. And that, I think that's all part of the cabal that is being thought about moving forward. So, um, yeah. I think I'm neutral on it right now. Not, not disappointed or not, you know, excited. Right. Well, we, we love seeing you doing the analysis for the world cup. Um, we'd love to see you and Corbs back in the studio together one day soon. Don't know if that's going to happen final. again, but, um, for the final, for the final, oh, that's great. Final. Good to know. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, love your work, Dan. Uh, thank you so much for giving us your time here. I uh, really appreciate the talks with you. Like I said, or Fitzy and I said, we can easily talk to you for two more hours, but uh, we won't do that to you. Um, so thanks again for joining us tonight. Appreciate it. Good. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Talk soon. All right. Good luck. Yeah, have a great night. Thank you. That was a, a, a great hour. Fitzy, I think you're still there. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't even know where to begin. I don't even think we should do a recap because there's so much great information there. I think we leave it. Right? Yeah, there's there's so much to digest from that conversation. Um, I think I think there's you, you can you can hear the insight and the passion that Dan has for the sport of rugby here in yeah. the U.S. and just the the potential that's ahead of us. You know, again, <clears throat> these next six years, um, and there's so many stakeholders you know involved, and you know how do we get everyone in the room and try and agree on what's the best way forward? And there's a, like Dan said, it doesn't cost money to come up with a good plan. So let's come up with a damn good plan, darn it. <laughs> I'm working on it right now. <laughs> I mean, you know, between, <laughs> I mean, it's, we have, there's a great group of people in this country uh, between, from like players, parents, um, you know, us doing this, whatever else, all have a stake in the game. We all want to see succeed. You know, not everyone's in it for money, whatever else. We're in it, just have it uh, work out, right? I mean, if we can get a beer sponsorship, why not? But, uh, <laughs> but, but we're all we're all here for the right reasons. We love the game. We want to see USA succeed. We want to see MLR succeed. We want to see college succeed. I have uh, a number of the girls that coached soccer at one point. They're playing rugby now. And even when I coached them in the soccer, I said, you should play rugby. <laughs> and they're doing it. <laughs> they're listening to me. Uh, they're listening, finally. <laughs> But yeah, uh, uh, so a great time, uh, Fitzy, a great time, listeners. Thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, it's been a nice, a great over hour, actually. So do us a favor again. Uh, check out the podcast tomorrow if you miss any part of the show. Uh, give us a review, a five-star review, and we'll read your review online the next show. Uh, thank you all so much for tuning in tonight. Have a great week. Have a great weekend. And we'll chat again soon. Thank you so much. <laughs>